you have that clip? Hold on. I want to hold on a second. Just talk amongst yourselves for for a short second. So I have another clip I want to show you guys. Okay. Um, first off, I would really, I think it would be awesome for some of you guys to consider doing the Capital Fellows. Uh, and I tell you why. Um, because our culture, we, we're really good about, um, you know, you come to University of Maryland, you're thinking about all the technical things, if you're in engineering and science or whatever. And what that Capital Fellows program is going to do, it's going to give you that creation, fall, redemption, restoration paradigm to think about your life. I try to do that here. I try to do that here in terms of thinking about your calling and, and work and everything. But this is really, this is nine months of you in community asking questions, thinking about, you know what, I don't know if I want to be a teacher or not. I don't know if I want to be an engineer. I don't know. You know, I'm going towards this, but like, how does my faith fit into that whole thing? And this is where you hammer it out. And so um, you can really, and some of you might be confused. You're not really sure what you want to do. I was an engineer for five years, and then I was doing stuff at church and thinking about ministry. And so God kind of led me into those doors as well. But, uh, you know, especially if you're if you're not totally sure maybe where you want to go, like this is a great year to hash that out because, you know, you're not getting intensive thinking about that here at the University of Maryland. And so this is an opportunity to really think through those questions and really get basically a one-year seminary-type degree, too, uh, doing that. So exciting stuff. So um, think, pray about that. Think about that. Okay, we are going, going through Exodus. And everybody can hear me fine. We're good. Um, so we're in Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 to 31 tonight. And so last week we looked at God's call to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. That was the burning bush episode. And I talked about uh, the fact that um, all of us, to some extent, need to have a burning bush episode in our life. We need to see who God is. We need to be confronted with who He is, His holiness. And, and in that, we also saw that Moses was called for this redemptive purpose. He was called to go back and deliver his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, and God was going to be with him. And so we saw that he had all kinds of excuses. He had about five different excuses, but God kept saying, but I'll meet you. I'll be there. Actually, I'll give you Aaron. Here's this, not a magic staff, but here's this staff, and I'm going to use, you're going to see my power. And every excuse that Moses had, God continued to provide an answer and a hope for him. And so, uh, tonight, we are going to look at kind of this bridge passage. Moses is saying yes, but it, to some extent, it's a tentative yes. Uh, and we see this character, Moses, go through um, a, a kind of a cleansing uh, and, a, and a very weak faith, but yet he is pressing towards Egypt and he's going to follow God's call. And there's there's weakness that we see in the midst of it, but yet... God uses that. So I'm going to read this, and then I want to show you a clip from The Matrix. 
uh, if you've ever seen that movie. So let me let me pray and then we'll read this and uh, we'll go on. Lord, thanks for tonight. Thank you that we can worship you and we can give you praise and we can look into your scriptures a little bit and think about uh, this redemptive plan that you have and, and Moses and even how we fit into it. Uh, give us your grace and mercy, uh, concentration in the midst of uh, maybe some competitions. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm looking at Exodus chapter 4, and this is reading from 18. So hear God's word. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you... Do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. This is a bizarre passage we're going to talk about. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone, and it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. You ever read that one in your Sunday school class? Then the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that He, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So that ends the reading of Exodus 4, 18-31. So, I'm going... So the other night, I was uh, during a snowstorm on Saturday, that snowstorm. Um, I think there's another one coming tomorrow. Uh... I was flipping around the TV and noticed that there was a great trilogy being played. It was the Matrix trilogy. Okay, and so I, I was captured again by, I didn't watch all three of them, but I was captured again by the first one. And so I, I, I remember using this scene some years ago when I was a youth minister. And so I want to use this scene once again as we set this up because I feel like Neo, uh, the main character here, um, is somewhat of a Moses type character. The Matrix is everything. 
It is all around us. Even now, in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to do. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Such a great, such a great scene. Um, so, let me tie this in. Who's seen, who's seen The Matrix? I'm probably, this, this movie is old now. I'm, I'm thinking, that was like 99, so a lot of you probably haven't seen it. Um, but, uh, so, the scene there, you have Morpheus, um, what's his name in real life? Fishburne. Yeah, Fishburne. Uh, is Morpheus, and then, of course, uh, Reeves is, is, is Neo. And, uh, um, to some extent, he is this deliverer. He is this Messiah figure. He's a Moses figure, basically, in the trilogy. And uh, it's an imaginary world. And basically, right after that scene, he takes, you know, he takes the blue pill, and uh, he's basically transformed. And his eyes are opened, and he sees the Matrix. He goes into this, basically, world where he sees it's all these computers, and there's all these, basically, comatose bodies that the computers are using to facilitate this world that nobody knows about, okay? Have you not seen this, Kathleen? Okay. Um, so anyway, but just like you said, I'm sorry, it's an imaginary world. It's an imaginary world that people are in, and they don't know that they're in that world. They don't know that they're dead. They don't know that they're asleep. And to some extent, the whole purpose is that Neo has come to set his people free. And to wake them up and to deliver them out of the matrix. It's such a beautiful parallel allegory to, uh, really what's, what's going on in the scriptures. Even though these guys aren't Christians, I think they're Buddhists, uh, that wrote it. But, uh, you know, there's truths in religions that, uh, echo and mimic what the gospel has. And, and I feel like in that movie, there's a lot of truths 
that come out that echo because people are made in the image of God. If you come to the film and theology night, Billy will talk to you about that. How in every movie, in every story, you have these elements of redemption, fall, uh, creation, fall, redemption. Win one for us. Okay, I know you're leaving. Um, so, but to transition this, okay, you know, as we look at Moses, um, you know, he's called by God to be a deliverer of his people. And his eyes, to some extent, in this whole passage with the burning bush, are being opened up to God. They're being opened up to himself. He's seeing the holiness of God and he's seeing what God's purpose is. And he's being reminded that his people are back in Egypt, or back in Egypt and they are under bondage. And it's been 40 years now since he's left Egypt. And he's being reminded of this and who he is. And he's in Midian and he's married a Midianite woman. And now God is opening up his, his mind. And, and now Moses is going to be used as this deliverer. So his eyes are being opened up to who the God of his fathers is. The, the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and likewise, uh, God is asking us as well, as his people who have been redeemed, if you, if you become a Christian, if you are a Christian, um, he places that same call on our lives where he says, uh, I want to make you my redemptive agent uh, to do my will. But as we see in this chapter, and even before, Moses is uh, somewhat of a very weak character. Uh, he's, he, he is not so sure of his calling, and he, he's even not so sure of his covenant promises that he is to keep. And so, uh, to some extent, God is the one who, who is the main victor here. And He's the one who loves His Son Israel. In fact, that was one of the verses where God says, I love My Son Israel. Tell Pharaoh this, that My Son Israel is My Son and I've come to deliver Him. And so Moses is understanding that God really cares for His people. And, and so... He is beginning to wake up, kind of like Neo did in the Matrix. He begins to wake up to this new world of people are dead, people are in bondage, and God is calling me to be uh, one to set them free. And so, how does He deliver His people? That's the question that I want to ask in this passage. And the first thing is this, that God assures flawed leaders. Okay, how does God deliver His people? The first thing is, He assures flawed leaders. And last week we touched on this. God meets Moses in the burning bush and He tells him to do all these things. He says, hey, you're going to be my deliverer. And Moses has one excuse after the next. You know, I can't speak. Uh, let's get Aaron. Uh, you know, there's, they won't believe me. Who should I say sent me? He has all these excuses. And time and time again, literally five times in the conversation... Moses is seeking to get away from the call of God and God keeps answering him and God keeps giving him grace and God keeps saying, no, but you're, you're my man to do this. And finally, right before this passage, God's anger is kindled because he basically says, find somebody else. God's, Moses says, find somebody else and God gets angry and then it kind of snaps Moses out of it. And now we see that he goes back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he says, I'm going to do this. But listen to what he says to Jethro. 
Verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. All right, now think about this. Nowhere in the call of God to Moses did he say, hey, just go back to Egypt and check on your brothers, see if they're still alive. God gave very clear instructions to Moses. <laughs> You're going to go and deliver my people. You're going to go and confront uh, Pharaoh in Egypt. You're going to have the staff and you're going to pull my people out. You're going to be my deliverer. And Moses comes back to Jethro in his fear and he just says, oh, it's kind of a very timid, a very afraid, like, okay, I'm getting ready to leave and I'm going to ask my... Okay, I'm going to go, God. I'm going to do it. I'm like really afraid. I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. And he asks Jethro, his father-in-law, by the way, I need to go back and check on my brothers to see if they're still alive. It doesn't sound like a conquering hero. Okay? It doesn't sound like somebody that's really confident. And because you got to remember, too, that, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jethro could have told him... Um, you're like, no way you're going back. You married my daughters. Uh, you're my shepherd for 40 years. Uh, you know, you're working on my ranch. I'm not letting you go. Like, you can't go back there. That My grandchildren are here. But what does he say? And this is where the assurances come in. Jethro says, hey, go in peace. Shalom. You can do this. So, it's. I think this is really interesting. Moses has this really timid, weak, not confident faith, but yet he is going towards what God wants him to do. And and the Lord meets him with all these assurances. Go in peace. Jethro doesn't say no way. Like, this is the craziest idea I've ever heard of. You know, Egypt and Pharaoh, they're going to kill you. Don't they want you for murder? No. Go in peace. Secondly, the promise of God comes in and God says... Uh, Go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life or dead. Remember, Moses had a warrant out for his arrest or for his death, basically. Pharaoh was trying to kill him after the incident with, with the uh, Egyptian that he killed. Okay, so he, there's wanted posters. He's on the FBI list, etc. Okay, all of this is fear in the back of Moses' life. That's why he fled to Midian anyway. And now God is saying, guess what, Moses? All those people are dead. You can go. Safety. So he gets the assurance of safety. And not only that, but the staff, verse 21. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. It mentions that as he, as he goes back. He's got that magic staff. It's not a magic staff, but it's the staff that God is going to use to bring, show his mighty works and his power in the plagues. It's going to be that staff that he uses to confront Pharaoh and all the evil there. And then later on in the passage, we have the biggest assurance of all. Aaron, his brother, comes out to meet him. And Aaron doesn't think he's crazy. Aaron loves his brother and he is with him in this mission of God to, to be his side partner in this mission to go and deliver people. So this really, really weak, timid faith of Moses. Hey, I want to go back and check and see how my brothers are. Okay, I can go. All right. God meets him. And God meets him again and again with all these assurances. And uh, I just thought that that was... Um, you know, something that we need to think about too, because, you know, as we go, as you, as you make steps to follow God in any area of your life, you know what? I guarantee you God is going to meet you. 
Because He loves His children. He loves when His children follow Him. He lo- he's going he's gonna to send you helpers. When you say yes to God, when you say yes to something like Capital Fellows, I guarantee you, you're going to be able to raise money and you're going to be able to do, do something like that. Or if you say yes to the RUF internship or whatever it is, or not even that, but I'm going to try to talk to my roommate. I'm going to try to love them and serve them. Or I'm going to try to talk to my parents about my faith in God or whatever it is. I guarantee you things are going to happen. It's like that song we sang about oceans. Like, you know, when you step out on the waters, like he's going to, he is going to be there for you. You know, he, he's going to, like Peter on the waters, like he is going to be there and he's going to lift you up and lift your head up. And so it should give you encouragement that, you know, the, <laughs> this, this faith is exciting. This faith is like stretching us. This faith is saying, I've, God has got me. It's like when you're a little kid and your dad's in the pool and he says, you know, jump in. Like, he's going to catch you, you know. And if he doesn't, you're still in the water. You're going to be fine. But it's like the Christian faith is one of, of uh, the excitement comes in stepping out in faith. The excitement comes in risking. Because then it's you know it's God. You know it's God. And God loves when His people take steps of faith. It's risk or rust, is what somebody once said. If 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 you don't risk, if you don't step out, if you don't, if you don't make steps of obedience towards the Lord's will and what He wants you to do, you will rust. You will get complacent. You will get hard. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage me to like step out, risk, see what happens. Your blood pressure might go up for a little bit. It's okay. We're there. And the thing is, God gives these assurances. That's why we're here. That's why you got fellowship. That's why you got people praying for you. I mean, it's like we, we want to hear about that stuff. We want to pray for you and help you. Um, second thing, how else does God bring about deliverance? Uh, he reminds the world of His covenant. Okay, He reminds the world of His covenant. I'm going to unpack this a little bit. Uh, but one of the things we see in this this section uh, after like this 21 here um, is a really hard passage where God is saying to Moses, hey, by the way, Moses, I want you to go back there and I want you to do all these miracles. But guess what? Uh, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And we might think, gosh, this is really... This is like a no-win situation. You're asking me to go back and to preach and to like show these miracles, and Pharaoh is not going to believe anyway. Um, and you know, this passage is a difficult passage. It gets into the whole idea of God's sovereignty and free will and what that all means. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into all of those things right here. But I will say this: uh, these are difficult passages, but. Uh, God is making a point that He can even change people's hearts and He can harden people's hearts. And He is telling Moses that I'm the one in control. Like Walter White said, I am the one who knocks. If you've ever seen the Breaking Bad. Okay, God is the one who is knocking. Think about it. Pharaoh is the one killing the people of Israel. Pharaoh is the one who, in verse in chapter 3.19, is the one who is going against God because he wants to. Okay? He's the one who thinks he is the boss. He's the one who thinks he's got it all under control. 
And what what Moses what Moses is getting from God right here is God is reminding him that that I'm the one in control. I'm the one who can harden somebody's heart. Moses can't even control his heart. I can harden his heart, and I will harden his heart to make my glory known to the nations. And I'll keep hardening his heart so that my glory will be seen so amazing that all the world will bow down and worship. It's, this is a hard passage. We can't understand this. We can't, it's hard to understand God's sovereignty, people's free will, because we got both of those in the Scriptures, and we can talk about that another time. But God is showing Himself. Israel is God's son, not Egypt's slave. That's ultimately what He's telling. And God tells Pharaoh of His covenant. And He says this, Then you shall say to, say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you, if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. That might sound cruel, but guess what? Pharaoh was killing all the firstborn sons of the Hebrews. Probably thousands of them. Maybe millions. It was a genocide that was going on. And so finally God is stepping in after all this pain. He's saying, my son is in trouble. And I've come to rescue him. And I'm going to use you, Moses. And so, this is the proverbial check the scoreboard, Wisconsin. Okay? Got to bring up the Wisconsin stuff. Uh, what a game. Um, and he's just saying, hey, this is God's kingdom. This is Yahweh's kingdom. And I am the covenant God. And this is my covenant people. And I love my people. This is my blood. And I've come to get to get them out of there. And so... Um, don't go against God's purposes and wills. That's, that's never a good idea. So, he has this passion for his son. Uh, and he can even harden the heart of Pharaoh in the midst of it. And so, to some extent, what you've got to understand here is that God is reminding the world, He's reminding Moses that He's the one in control uh, and that He is all-powerful. And how is he going to do this? Well, he says, by the signs or by the plagues. And in verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. So, God is going to show Pharaoh by his words, by his love for his son, but also by his power, by his deeds, who is in control. So, it's, it's this word and deed thing that's going on that God is doing to show his glory uh, and to show his power to Pharaoh. And um, and this is really foreshadowing the plagues that are going to happen, um, and and in fact, and the, the ultimate plague of the killing of the firstborn son of the Egyptian and of Pharaoh's son. And so, you know, God is foreshadowing that final plague right here to magnify His power and to magnify His love for His people. And then what about this this next passage where it talks about uh, the Lord wanting to kill? Because this is all related to the covenant as well. It says, a lodging place on the way. This is bizarre. The Lord met him, Moses, and sought to put him to death. So Moses is going. He's heading to Egypt. He's obeying the Lord. And the next thing you know, God is wanting to put him to death. And then it says, Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it, and said, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him go. 
It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So, all right. So this is all about the covenant here. Okay. So God is talking about um, His people. The covenant, the covenant of God is behind this passage. You cannot understand this without understanding that. So if you go back to Genesis 17 real quick, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to just explain to you. God said to Abraham, after he had Ishmael by Hagar, who was not his wife, he said, I want every male in Israel circumcised. And this circumcision is a sign of my covenant. Basically, it's a sign of my covenant love for my people. And I like to think of circumcision as God's tattoo. Okay? God was, make, God was making His mark on His people, setting them apart, saying, You're my people. You're my blood. I love you. And I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to promise you, and I'm going to give you all the promises, and I'm going to bring you to the promised land. And you're my people. Obey this covenant. Obey this, this circumcision ordinance that I'm giving you so that uh, you will see, that people will see my love for you. And as you know, the circumcision involves cutting and blood. And whenever we have these sacraments in the Bible, sacrament in the Old Testament, it involves blood. Just like the Passover, which we now say is the Lord's Supper. It's dealing with blood. And that blood was always pointing ahead to the ultimate bloodshed of Jesus on the cross. Okay, This is where, again, the Scriptures are giving these foreshadows and these pictures of, of sacrifice and these pictures of bloodshedding. And they're pointing ahead, not to just the fact that um, this blood must be shed, but it was a pointer to the fact that blood must be shed, blood must cover our sins. And guess what? Moses had not circumcised his kids. Moses had not circumcised his kids and, the, and the Yahweh, the God of Israel, was ready to kill him. Do you think God thinks a lot about His, his, uh, his covenant? He was getting ready to kill Moses, his deliverer, because Moses had forgotten the covenant. And this is what I mean how Moses is kind of like Neo. He's waking up to the matrix. He's walking and God is showing him his sin. God is disciplining him here. He didn't kill him, did he? No. But he certainly woke him up and he was about to kill him. And he was getting in his face about to kill him. He was saying, you've forgotten the covenant. You've forgotten I love you. And all my children are going to be circumcised because that's going to point to the fact that they need the blood sacrificed in order for them to be saved, in order for them to have their sins forgiven. And so that blood sacrifice and the circumcision is a sign of that. That my people are covered. My people are my people. And it was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. Does that sound bizarre to you? I mean, you know, this is, unless we look at the whole scriptures, it does sound bizarre. But when you know that Abraham and all of Israel was supposed to do this circumcision, and Moses, probably the greatest leader of Israel, had not circumcised his kids, there's a problem. This this all relates as well 
at another time we can talk about this baptism of infants. But we won't talk about that now. But this is this is some of the reasons why um, the Presbyterian folk in here um, get that taught about why we think you know infant baptism is important because uh, it's connected with circumcision of the Old Testament and God putting His sign and seal on His people, saying these are my people, even as little kids. Not saying that that it saved them. But his mark is on them. His tattoo is on them. And that God is going to uh, reveal that promise. All right. So, God is reminding even Moses about his covenant of love. Okay, And so, uh, it's pointing to Jesus because he loves his son. This is my son. And, you know, in the New Testament, it's interesting here because um, one of the commentators says, you know, the Lord says, you know, tell this to Pharaoh, like, you have my son, like let my son go. And uh, he, he, he parallels this with when Jesus was baptized, um, the father said, as the spirit descended on him, this is my beloved son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. And to some extent, Jesus is, is the fulfillment of Israel. Israel is down in Egypt and they are in bondage. And it says in Matthew that Jesus when he was fleeing from uh, Herod, he went down to Egypt. Now he comes back out of Egypt. My son has come out of Egypt. And so Jesus becomes the ultimate Israelite. Israel failed, went into the bondage, went into the wilderness, but Jesus is the victor and he's come out. And this is the son whom God loves. And he's well pleased. And so the fact of this passage is, is, is the Lord is saying it's all about the son. Pharaoh, your problem is, is you are enslaving my son. Moses, you forgot about the covenant promises that are all wrapped up with my sons, your sons, or my sons. You forgot about them. It's all connected to this fact that the son. What is your relationship to the son? And pointing ahead, what is your relationship to God's son? Have you forgotten about him have you forgotten about his promises what is your position towards the son is it i i don't know i don't know who he is uh is it i'm going against him i don't want him in my life or is it i'm submitting to him and i want him for pharaoh it was i'm going to kill him for moses at that point it was i forgot about this but, and so the question begs of us, what is our position to the Son? And the, the final part is this, um, that the deliverance that God is going to bring about is all about being set free to worship. The deliverance that God is bringing is so that His people can worship Him. And so, this is the last thing here. Uh, When Moses and Aaron tell the plan of God to the elders, and they show all the miracles and the staff, this is a beautiful verse here. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, 31. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. It's a beautiful picture. They hear God's word. 
They see that Moses and Aaron are here and the staff and they're seeing these miracles and they're hearing Moses' story and they're understanding that God cares for us and God has sent a deliverer. And the first thing they do is they worship. And they give praise to God. And this is amazing um, because they were made for worship just like we were made for worship. There's a theologian, John Stott, he says that there's a vacuum in the heart of every man that can only be filled by God. Augustine said um, that his heart was restless until he found his rest in God. That deep in all of us, we have this desire to worship. But what do we do? We worship everything else. We worship the creation. We worship our grades. We worship relationships. We worship our GPA. We worship our career. We worship the American dream. We worship entertainment. We worship sex. We worship whatever it is. You fill in the blank. And that is, and we do all these little things. And when we get tired of one, we run to something else. And finally, God has shown up to his people and he becomes their lasting joy. And they get a picture of God loves us. And He sent Moses and Aaron for us. And they're going to get us out of here. Wow! God loves us. And this is really, you know, going fast forward. You know, we have the ultimate deliverer in Jesus. You know, He's the greater Moses who's come. And, uh, you know, He did the miracles without a staff. You know, and he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood and he takes all the wrath of God that was deserved for you on himself. And he says, I'm going to deliver you. And his death and his resurrection, God puts his uh, justification on us because of what Jesus has done. And so this deliverance that Jesus brought should bring us in awe, it should make us worship, it should make us people who are ready to follow. Uh, and ready to serve Him. And, um, you know, Jesus is saying to you, uh, to us, you know, wake up. Wake up from your slavery to yourself. Wake up to the bondages that you're in. You know, wake up to your um, neglect of His love and His covenant. Wake, it, wake up. Get out of the matrix. Wake up. Because Jesus is here and He's come to set you free. Let me pray. Jesus, thank You for... Uh, this passage and just your deliverance and how you use Moses, a weak leader, and really kind of shook him up in the midst of his going uh, to know who you are even more. And I pray that you would shake us up, Lord, shake us up of our of our apathy, of our hardness, of our whatever it is, our idolatries, Lord, um, that you would just show us Jesus, show us the grace of the gospel, uh, that we would know you and that we would know your uh your your joy and we pray that in Christ's name amen so i guess we'll we'll sing our last song is it a softer song do we know yeah it's a softer song so we'll stand and and sing and then john will be back there to talk to anybody about capital fellows and um and everything